Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Recess. I don't know about you, but I used to be my favorite subject. Most of the times when you ask a kid what's their favorite subject in school, um, if they're in a public school setting or a private, they'll talk about playtime or recess or maybe lunch. One of those teams is typically, and there's a reason behind that. There's a reason behind why students, why people, why we enjoy recess. And it's because we were designed that way. Because this is just a testament to the way God has created us in his image. And many of us are familiar with the book of Genesis, right? And if you're not, it's, it's a book about beginnings. It describes how God created the earth out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. In the first chapter, we see that there were six days of creation. And it's a wonderful book that describes this. And then here in verse chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, we see something unique. Something that's actually echoed throughout the rest of Scripture. And it's this idea that there was seven days. Six of them were work. Where God worked to create. But then on the seventh day, he rested. That he rested. And so one of the things we need to understand here is that, first and foremost, humanity, us human beings, we were created with a call to work. We're not going to talk about work today. Hopefully you have a theology of work, and if you don't, I would encourage you to study the scriptures or go to someone who might. And as I look across the landscape of our church, I don't have a, I think all of you know how to work hard. I really do. I see a lot of hard energy given out for the Lord. And we see that in, in 2.15, look down there where we see one of the creation mandates. We see in, in 2.15, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden to what? Work it and keep it. And there's so much there and I wish we could dig more time into it. But, but, but I don't want to talk about rest until we first understand that we have to work. That this is part of being human is working, laboring daily. The Bible says toiling in the good things of God. And God through much Different than you know, he worked six days. And as we are his image bearers, we understand that we're called to work as well. No Christian should be lazy. Does that make sense? That's just, that's the blanket statement of work. Just don't be lazy. Work unto the Lord in all that you do. But work is part of being, not, is, is, is part of our being, not only as Christians, but part of being human. Humans are created to be doers. We really are. We're created to be doers. We're called to work and to keep God's good creation. And after the fall, we're now called to push back darkness and to bring about the very kingdom of God as he, we proclaim Christ. And so we see this strong work ethic. And I praise God for some of you. Some of you fathers are such great testimonies to your families of how to work and labor hard. And I just praise God for that. You really do that well. Ladies, you labor either in your occupation or in your household in such wonderful ways. And you set such a great example of what it means to work. But I wonder, do you set the same example for rest? Recess. That we're, we are called as image bearers of God to actually rest. To be those who intentionally step away from work and engage in something different. Work is hard enough on its own. Can you imagine working without rest? Now, there's truth, right, to working hard and accomplishing great things for your family and for the Lord. But at what cost? Some might say that potentially you, you're, you're costing the very family you have. 
If you take too high of a priority on your work and you forget rest. Some might say excessive work leads to health struggles, which it does. It's documented. And those who would say these things would be absolutely correct. But you know what? There's an even greater cross for the follower of Christ who sees work as the only thing God has given him to do. Is there something else? And the short answer is yes. We'll talk about that over the next two weeks. That The short answer is yes. That if work is the only thing you see that God has for you, this side of eternity, then you personally are not, you're missing out. You're not flourishing in all that God has called you to be a part of. What might that be? Well, as we said, Lord willing, Pastor David and I, for the next two weeks, we'll walk you through this. This idea of rest, which includes play in the midst of that, but also party. Like God's people should be those who play hard, work hard, and party hard. Now, I know those some of you, maybe you think in your mind, like, oh, we got to put some caveats on that. We will. We'll let the Bible define those parameters for us. But nonetheless, Christians should be having the most fun in this world than anyone else. And yet it's the very opposite of what sometimes we do. Humans cannot flourish under an all-sufficient God unless they embrace a day and a period of, of time to rest in play. Now think about that for a second. There's no other God in any other religion that invites his people to come rest and play. There's no other God. In, I mean, Buddha, none of these gods, I mean, Islam, any faith, any cult that you look to, it's always about work, 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 work. But God, in his kindness, at the very beginning of the Bible, he prescribes rest and play for his people. And this is good news for us. I mean, think about it. It's like going to a job interview and you speak to your employer and you begin to have a conversation with them about what the job's going to look like. And the first thing he goes to is the fringe benefits of your job. The first thing he says, oh, and I'm going to give you five weeks of paid vacation. You're going to have off on every certain day here and there. I've never been to an employer that's done that. Typically, you have to ask, what are the fringe benefits? Because we're we're work-minded people. We're doers as human beings. But what's so beautiful as the beginning of the Bible, God actually front-ends this idea of rest. What an amazing God that not only does he call us to work and work hard, but to rest and do so very intentionally. And we must remember that this is prior to the fall, right? This is pre-fall language that we see. Now, rest is not part of the effects of the fall that we need it. We need it all the more because of the fall. But we see that woven into the very fabric of creation as image bearers of God is the fact that we know how to rest. But what does that look like? First, look here with me at this section. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. Says now, thus, thus heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, including everything that was in the earth, from trees to animals to human beings. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. On what day? The seventh, which is really interesting. Okay, if you're familiar with the creation story, when was man created? What day? The sixth day. So the very first thing that man rises from the dust, breathing the air of God, that he gets to experience, is not work, but what? A day of rest. He didn't start on a on the work week. The very first day that he said that he, he birthed man and he, he gave him life and he breathed the breath of life into this dust-formed man. And he says, now the first day we're going to experience together is a day where I'm resting and so are you. Think about that. That's like blows my mind. 
I don't know if we've ever comprehended that that's the first day he walks into as man. Adam walks into the seventh day of rest. That's the first thing he experiences. But the question is why? One, we see because he is an image bearer of God. So God is mirroring man to replicate what he does. Now, God's rest is different than ours. God did not rest because he was physically weary or because he was tired. No, but there is an intentional effort here by Moses to create distinction of six days of work and a seventh day of rest. Look there with me at some of the language. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work. And he uses this language again. He rested from all the work that he had done in his creation. And it's not like what we need to understand at this moment is that what Moses is revealing, he's not saying that like God had more things to do. He was just done with his checklist for the day. No, God had completed everything necessary to create a world for man to live in communion with him and with the world and with each other. It was done. It was complete. Everything necessary was made. So this rest wasn't like there was a checklist and he's got five more to do. No, everything was done. The fullness of creation, the air to breathe was made. The the animals and the plants and things necessary to be sustained as physical human beings was provided. The things that bring joy and delight, the sun, the flow of everything, it was done. Everything needed for a human to thrive in the pattern of work and rest has already been provided by God in the six days of creation. Brothers and sisters, so much of a part of our rest is the complete trust that the world will continue even if you do not. Like, it's amazing. Like, I think of even a church that I had served prior to coming here. I was like, oh, man, if I leave that church, it's just going to crumble. And you guess what? They're still going. They're still going. My grandpa was like a person who loved a manicured yard, and he would mow that yard day in and day out. And he just loved it. And he always says, I mean, he would do it till like his, I think he lived to 86, and he would do it till like he was, I think, 86 he did it pretty close to the near of his death. Because he thought if he didn't mow the yard, it was just gonna, it was gonna crumble. The, the whole house was gonna fall apart and all. And so, but, but guess what? The house is still there and the yard's still being mowed, but he's not. One of the great realities we learn here is that Adam woke to experience a day of rest, not work, resting in the full sufficiency of the creator who completed everything and is controlling everything for man. I think this speaks volumes of the massive reality that you and I are called to be those who also participate in rest. But it's not only here where we see this call to rest from work. We see it again in the book of Exodus. Go there with me. The book of Exodus. Really, this idea of rest is... is, We see the pattern of a week and things of this nature established in the book of Genesis. But this idea of rest or what we're going to hear, the word Sabbath in a little bit, is not mentioned again until the book of Exodus. We see it first mentioned in Exodus 16. We're going to go to Exodus 31. But in Exodus 16, we see that in reference to the manna that God was providing for the people in the wilderness, he says, six days you shall labor and work, and on the sixth day you get a double portion. Don't go out on the seventh, because on that day I want you to relax. I want you to rest, because I'm a God who will always, what? Provide. I take care of my people. And he's beginning to set a pattern back into the reality of this creation pattern we see here. We see it as a commandment, one of the commandments of The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is this reality of the Sabbath. We are to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. But one of the things that struck me in my study this time is this passage in Exodus 31. 
Exodus 31. So go there with me and look specifically at verse 12. So not only is it the pattern in creation, but it's also the pattern in redemption. It's a pattern of God's covenant people. Listen to the language that Moses records for us here in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. So remember, Moses has done what? He's walked up to the mountain. He's communing with God in the, in the cloud. The, the, the glory of God is revealing the commandments of God to him. And, and this is right before he's walking down. And he's, the last thing that God talks to Moses about, and he says, above all, emphasizing what? This is pretty important. Keep my Sabbath, my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. I was blown away. It's like I've read Exodus many times, but as I was studying and looking up all the different references of Sabbath, this is one that I guess I just never clicked. One of the key signs of the covenant at Mount Sinai was Sabbath. Why? Why? Because every other God on the planet this time, lowercase g's, always required his people to work, to leverage. And God says, my people are not like that. My people are people who actually take a day and they set it aside where they just rest and they trust that the world's still going to go because I'm in control and I will provide. Whoa! One of the key distinguishing marks of God's people in the Old Testament was that they rejoiced in Sabbaths. And what's funny is that's the one thing they missed so bad, too. They got it so wrong in so many ways and so right in so many other ways. We keep looking. So he gives us the purpose here. The end of verse 13, he says that is a purpose phrase that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Wow. That's an interesting way that he would actually link this idea of sanctification to enjoying Sabbath rest in him. That he would link part of you, like, I don't know about you, but when I think of growing into the image of God, I think of me really working hard, really digging in. But one of the realities, one of the ways God sanctifies us is by enjoying rest in him. That you may know that the Lord is the one who sanctifies you. This highlights something crucial for us here. God calls us to have an intentional time where we do not work, but instead rest. And the point of that rest is the sanctification of you, God's people. And maybe that's what's missing in your walk with the Lord. You really have a white knuckle mentality, a moralistic mentality. You've forgotten that he's provided it all. And that you can rest in that. The idea here is that we cannot be set apart or completely devoted to God's purposes without rest. So I'm going to say it. If you're not resting, you're sinning. Man, forgive me, God, for not making this a a regular part of my sanctification process of having intentional times, whether it be a whole day or intentional times in my day, to just rest in you. One of the goals of rest is the development of our sense of mystery and awe and wonder and appreciation for all that God has created and done for us. I think that is one of the primary things is that it's an intentional time for us to develop a sense of mystery and awe and wonder and appreciation for all that God has done. 
And we see in this phrase twice, Moses records 15 and verse 15 and verse 17. Look what he says here in these two sections. Six days. So he's linking it back to what? Genesis chapter 2. He's linking it back to Genesis chapter 2. And he says in verse 15, six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Using the same language that God himself used. That he says, I bless it and I made it holy. He says it again in verse 17. It is a sign forever as a covenant between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh that he rested and was refreshed. So Sabbath rest and Sabbath kind of go hand in hand. What the word rest, Sabbath wasn't used in Genesis chapter 1, but it's, it's now a place and it's a principle that God's put into place in the Old Testament for our good and for our godliness so that he might sanctify us in those moments. And then we see repeated in this in God's design that in and for those people he saves. So we see this language repeated again in like Deuteronomy chapter 5 when he gives a commandment against. We see it throughout the prophets that one of the things they constantly bring before the people is that they don't they're not resting in him that they're not they're not honoring the Sabbath, they're not doing something that God has prescribed for their good. So what's the process here then for us as followers of Christ? So go to Hebrews chapter 4, it's the section we read just a little bit ago. Hebrews chapter 4. And again, there's a lot I'm not saying. Like, I can't explain everything to describe all this. I'm trying to whet your appetite to study this concept a little bit more. And I'd love to have longer conversations with you. We're not talking about, like, rest as it relates to the land. And rest as it relates to when they went into that land, that guess what? It was all what? Everything was there. That's what I love about the section of Deuteronomy. It says your fortified cities are there. Your vine is bearing the grape is there. And guess what? You didn't build any of that. You didn't provide anything of that. And just walk into that. It's a portrait of what we see here. Look here with me at chapter 4 of Hebrews. Specifically look at verses 4 and 10. So the author of Hebrews is talking about how the people of Israel failed to enter that rest before because of some sort of disobedience. But in verse 4 he says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. Again, linking it back to what? Genesis chapter 2. Pre-fall creation. He says it again in verse 9 and 10. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for God, the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from here. And here, he's not talking about the completion of the creation, but he's talking about the completion of our salvation and redemption. So it's not just, so the pre-fall, Genesis chapter 2, was everything that was needed in creation is provided for you. Now work it and keep it. And now same same kind of language we see in Hebrews. Everything necessary for our redemption and salvation has been afforded to us in Jesus Christ. And so therefore we can work it and keep it. But in the midst of that, we are resting that it is done. It is complete. And amazingly, we see that another one of these benefits of rest is that it strengthens us. See that it strengthens us throughout this. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Maybe your disobedience in your daily walk upon the Lord is because you haven't had a day of rest in the Lord. And I say this as someone who is that guy. I'm one who does not like to rest. I like to work. And in that work, sometimes I walk into disobedience because there's days I don't rest. I don't stop. And relish in the finished and complete work of Christ. 
So we can see throughout the landscape of the Bible that a key element of God's people is walking in, who are walking in covenant with him is that they follow a pattern of work and rest. And this does not mean we're called to practice the exact commands in the way the Old Testament does. I don't be, I'm not a Sabbatarian, so I don't believe we have to have one specific day, but I think that's the best pattern to follow. I think it's the best pattern to follow, but I don't think it's law. I'd love to explain that more to you if you have a question afterwards. But I do think there is a pattern. I practiced it yesterday for the first time ever. Literally for the first time ever. I did not think about my sermon from 5 o'clock on Friday till 5 o'clock on Saturday. And it was crazy. Like, and my sermon wasn't done. But I intentionally said, Lord, I trusted you. You were in control. I've been preparing all week. I know what I, uh, the word is saying in this area. So, Lord, I'm just going to rest in you and enjoyed my family. Had game night on Friday night with my family and David. We enjoyed good food. Enjoyed fellowship. And then Saturday I slept in. I got up and guess what I enjoyed? More good food. Enjoyed just spending time with my family. I got to take justice somewhere. And I got to just sit out and stare at God's good creation. I watched a bird for 45 minutes. And it was glorious. This pattern of rest must be a part of our lives if we want to grow fully into the image of Christ. It must be, brothers and sisters. So let's quickly look at what the scriptures tell us, I believe, are the two key parts of what rest should involve. Because often when you think of rest, what do you immediately think of? Sleep. And it does. I think some there, for some of us who work really, really hard and some of us labor really hard and sleep very little, it might, it might include a nap. I'm all about a sanctified nap. I mean, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's more than that. I think some of the things we see in Scripture, that part of our rest is actually deep, deep enjoyment. Go with me to Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom that we see in the Bible that I believe helps us to understand this, this component a little bit. And as you're flipping to Ecclesiastes, if you're not familiar with your Bible, it's towards the middle. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be looking specifically at chapter 2. But as we're going there, don't forget what the patterns of um, we see in the Old Testament. is. They had days of festival. And guess what they were supposed to do on days of festival? Stop plowing and head to Jerusalem. Even if it was in the middle of plow season, they're to what? Stop and go to festival. And what do they do at the festival? They offer a sacrifice and they celebrate something. They remember something that God has previously done for them as a people of God. That this was a regular pattern that we see throughout. See, resting is actually a call to enjoy him by enjoying his gifts. Enjoy him by enjoying his gifts. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And look specifically at verse 23 and 24. Lord willing, David's going to really help us walk through this book in the, in the fall. He's going to walk through this, this idea of wisdom. And this is one that's so good and so often misunderstood. The theme of Ecclesiastes is what? Vanity. Meaninglessness. Right? The... The teacher says meaningless, meaningless, but it doesn't mean we throw out all the gifts. What it means is you shouldn't place your hope in those gifts. <laughs> you shouldn't place your hope in only pleasure. You shouldn't place your hope in only careers and these kind of things and relationships. But the reality is, is if you, one of the things that always confused me oftentimes when reading this is this very verse and verses that follow that are just like it. Look at verse 23. Speaking about the vanity of toil or labor or working. He says, for all his days are full of sorrow in verse 23 and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. 
This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? So basically, the the teacher here in this, what does he say? He says, you should be a people who actually enjoy, eat, and rest, and things that bring joy. The gifts of God. We see that line kind of repeated in some way or manner in multiple locations. 3, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 5, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 11, and chapter 11. We see the same idea that this we're called not only to work hard, but to enjoy the fruits of our labor. The author of Ecclesiastes is not given a blanket exhortation simply to see pleasure-seeking people. It's not what he's saying. He actually says quite the opposite. He says, I didn't withhold my heart from anything. And it was still empty at the end of the day. Vanity. But in the midst of that, he says, you should never throw out God's good gifts. And throughout the Bible, whether it be a call to festival days or celebrations or the wisdom literature of Proverbs, we are commended as God's people to enjoy his gifts, which include... Things like food. There's a reason you have taste buds. Because food has taste and it's enjoyable. There's a reason we like going to fancy restaurants with people who have been preparing really good food because it tastes great. And there's something euphoric in eating really good food. There's something beautiful about Communion, and one of the things that Ecclesiastes says is we should never do this alone. He talks about relationships as a beautiful gift of God. And do you notice that one of the major statements against Christianity is that it's always so blah. It's all rules to follow. It's always boring. God is the stick in the mud. And that's our fault that people believe that because guess what? You're a stick in the mud sometimes. And God calls us to be those who enjoy and relish in his good gifts. Not to the nth degree of gluttony or drunkenness or idolatries or any of these things. But that we are called to be a people who have a specific time set aside where we enjoy the gifts of our labors. Because all of that comes from God's good hands. Now God is holy and he is worthy of all and respect. But God is anything but boring or anti-fun. The very fact that we know how to laugh is because God created us to laugh. The very fact that we have taste buds is because God wants to enjoy food. The very fact that I have a wife and we can share a marriage bed is because I'm to enjoy it with her. This is God's kindness to all of us in a variety of wonderful ways. Think back to creation again. It's good, it's good, it's good. Day six, it's what? It's very good. God created a good world for us to enjoy. Yes, it has the effects of sin and curse upon it. As we do at some level, the residue left over if you are not in Christ. But everything he created, like nature, adventure, the ability to read and think. All of these things are gifts of God that we are commanded to enjoy. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And listen to this. 
So part of, he says, false teaching that will go on in the last days is this. Those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. So part of the false teaching that will go on in the last, the end of times is there will become a teaching where we have to become like this no fun, always serious, never enjoy God's good gifts kind of people. Now we are called to be serious and to pursue holiness. But in the midst of all this, we are also called, as he says, for God created everything and it's good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God calls Christians to not pursue partial enjoyment, but full enjoyment. Now, there is caveats. There's a lot of things that we need to say. And that's why you need to be a student of your word. This is why you need to understand that there is such a thing as called gluttony that is a sin. And overindulgence of any of God's good gifts or drunkenness or sexual immorality or abuse of friendships or greed But that does not mean that we cannot and are not commanded to enjoy his gifts. We know how to enjoy them rightly. Christian, you are not called to partial enjoyment, but you are called to be a part of rest where you sit back and realize the earth, your job and society will continue on even if you take a day off. It's okay, dads. You can rest. You can take a day and dedicate it to merely enjoying God's good gifts, whether they be your wife or your children. Moms, it's okay. You can let the laundry go for a day. Yes, you can. And just in that moment, relish in God's goodness and say, it's okay. In this moment, I'm just going to enjoy the fellowship of my family and have my good, my good friends over. And we're going to have food. And it's not just going to be like a Thanksgiving style feast on that day. We're just going to enjoy it. And we're going to relish in it. And we're just going to say, God, thank you that you are God that the world keeps running. Even when I stop and I just sit and I relax and rest in you. Singles, this means you don't have to feel guilty by taking a day and going playing frisbee golf. Or going fishing with your grandpa. That's okay. Christians can do that. They can take those days where they're stepping away from work. And they're saying, I'm just going to rest in the fact that God's in control. And that he's given me good gifts to enjoy in this day. Teenagers, this means it's okay to take that afternoon nap. It's okay. You can do that on days. Now, if it becomes the habit and pattern now, we got to be careful, right? Because God's people are not lazy. But it means you can enjoy that nap. I do. There's nothing I relish more sometimes than a Sunday afternoon nap. It's one of my favorite things. And all these things are true because part of one of the components of resting is that we have an open acknowledgement that you are a dependent being on Almighty God. You're dependent. The world will continue to function when you take a day off or a couple hours off to enjoy And so therefore, we're commanded to have intentional time of rest, meaning you are saying to God, I willingly receive these good things from your hands today, and I'm going to enjoy them. So can you imagine, Shelly is a wonderful cook, um, and she's raised our daughters to be wonderful cooks as well. And um, in some areas, Justice and some of our daughters are better bakers than her. So can you imagine if Justice were to bake me this pie, and this beautiful pie, and I were to come home, and I were to sit down, and I were to take a bite of it, and I were to say... That's all right. It's okay. And I'm saying, just, just, just kind of passe about it or whatever. 
No, one of the ways I rejoice in her taking her energy and time to prepare this gift for me is to enjoy it. Sometimes I enjoy it too much because I get the second and third slice of it. And again, we got to be careful there. There's that reality. But when I'm declaring to God in that moment of rest by enjoying his gifts that you are a good God. You've given me something beautiful to enjoy, not just in this moment, because this is only a foretaste of what's to come in eternity. So brothers and sisters, we are called to rest intentionally. And part of that rest is to deep, deep enjoyment of God's good gifts. Including things like reading good books, taking a walk in the woods, staring at a bird for 45 minutes. And it was amazing. So I stared at this bird. It was just amazing. Like I was watching it. It was up in the tree and went down and he, I don't know how, because God's good design. They found a, he found a worm in the grass and he picked it up and he ate half of it. And then he flew over to the nest. So I went over to where did he go? And he got little birds over there and all this is happening. This is all because God's good design. And I got to just sit in that and realize my God provides for the birds. And you know what the Bible says? He will also provide for who? Me. And that's because I stopped for a second and just relished in him and his good creation. The section of Matthew came alive because I saw it with my own eyes. Like it wasn't Jesus just making something up. It's something he was declaring to be true in what he created. We need to have good, loving fellowship over food and drinks with good friends. It's the part of God's people. And David will highlight all that a little bit more next week. When we do this, we're saying, God, you are good. God, you are in control. I'm not. You are. And I declare that my life is dependent upon you and I'm willing to stop from my work and just enjoy your provision and your care. Because the world will keep on going even when you take a day off or an hour or an afternoon. What happens though if all we do is enjoy? That can't be the only thing, can it? Well, no, that's not. Because we, one of the things we must understand, I think in even a greater degree, is that part of rest is not only enjoyment, but part of rest is deep reflection. Deep, deep reflection. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in chapter 5. One of the things that we see about this idea of Sabbath, first it's a command in Mount Sinai, and then it's, it's emphasized in some other ways. And here we have Moses' last book of the the opening five books of the Pentateuch or the Torah. And he begins to describe some really beautiful, interesting things as he reiterates the Ten Commandments to the people. But he adds a nuance here that's different. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Now, this is following the command to honor the Sabbath, to observe it, to keep it holy. And again, in verse 12 and 13 and 14, he connects it to the creation account. But he also says, you shall remember in that day of Sabbath keeping, of rest. You shall remember. What does remembering mean? Stopping, going back, and rolling through your mind what God has already done and accomplished for you. Remembering is the call to reflect. They're to remember that they were slaves in Exodus, that the Lord their God brought them out with a mighty hand and now stretch on. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Moses here in this latter part, what he connects to Sabbath keeping is the idea of meditative reflection. That there needs to be a time in that, that day of rest where you're not only stopping and saying, God, I trust you. God, you're in control. But we're also saying, God, you've rescued me from myself, from my sin. And we're trusting in his provision and we're casting all of our cares upon him. Trust in his provision and control is this idea of rest 
That while we're enjoying all of these good things, his good gifts, we're also completely reflecting on what he is, who he is and what he has accomplished for us. Truly trusting in his provision and control finds his deepest meaning in reflecting on our relationship with God himself. But it also means there's dependence upon God's mercies. Because you know what? The breath that I'm breathing is, I don't deserve it. But it's because of his mercy. The food I partake in is because of his mercy. The true biblical practice of rest is not merely a day to be lazy, but it's a day to scan the amazing gifts and work of our God and simply relish in it. I used to work for Publix, as many of y'all know, when it first opened up. And one of the, one of my favorite things to do in Publix is they would give these little guns. And you could shoot these little guns and, and it had a little, uh, like a digital screen on it. You could shoot it and you have 10 of these back there or blah, blah, blah. They tell you all these cool things about it. And I think one of the things that I want, I want to push into you is while we're resting those, those, those days, those hours, those afternoons or that day you set aside to rest in the Lord. I want you to be like a, a guy with a, a scanner. And you're just going through God's creation and you're scanning that and you're saying, God did that. And you're scanning, you're looking at your kids and you're saying, God did that. And you're looking at the beauty of your marriage, both the hard times and the good times. And you're saying, God did that. And you're enjoying food. And when you get done eating, you're saying, God did that. And you're constantly scanning everything that happens. And at the end of the scan, in the end of the enjoyment, you're saying what? God did that. He did that for me. And better is yet to come. To rest by merely eating or drinking and being merry as Ecclesiastes calls us to. Apart from reflection is nothing more than self-centered pleasure seeking and using God as your excuse. But when we will, when we weave this beautiful reflection into it, it's actually bringing about this idea that I'm enjoying this good gift and I'm letting it, as John Piper says, roll up into a praise of him. That God created that and it's good because he's good and he's ultimate and he's supreme. That's why I think some of our favorite hymns, the song we sing is, is Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we know? Because food's good, because fellowship's good, because his creation's good. Though it's marred and it has the effects of sin, it's still good. We must engage our hearts and minds in constant reflection and rejoicing the enjoyment of God's good gifts. Ice cream. I've always been told it's the worst thing in the world to eat because it's empty calories. But I had ice cream yesterday. Actually, I had it Friday night and Saturday night. But what was amazing is, is on Friday night when we, we, we ate dinner and enjoyed a good meal and Becca actually bought it for us with her birthday money that our family could enjoy ice cream. I think she just wanted it. We got the fringe benefits of that. But we're sitting there eating ice cream. And I just remember, because I mean, I'm already, I'm already spending an intentional time right now. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not doing anything. I'm just enjoying God's gift and I'm reflecting on him. And as I'm eating ice cream, I'm like, man, cookies and cream. It's even better than just like saying ice cream. Cookies and cream ice cream. And I'm just eating this ice cream. And in this moment, literally, there was a moment of rejoicing because I scanned it and I said, what? God did that and it's good because he's good. And there's going to come a day when it's all going to be made new. And I don't know if there's going to be ice cream in heaven or not, but I can't imagine how it's going to be in heaven if it's, this is affected by the curse of sin. And I'm still affected by the curse of sin. 
But God, and that's, that's that moment where I just said there's going to be, I'm not going to focus on my work or my sermon or anything that's going to happen. I'm just going to sit and enjoy God's gifts and reflect on him and scan the things of God in the world and say, God did that and it was good. I can honestly say I don't know if ice cream has ever been better. Because in that moment, I was walking in the way that God says, I'm sanctifying you in this moment to enjoy me and this gift and roll it up into a praise of a God who cares for his people. So we can clearly see through the scriptures, church, that you cannot flourish. You cannot flourish with work alone. You must learn to create a pattern of rest in your life. And in the midst of that rest, you're playing. You're enjoying God's good gifts. You're reflecting an intentional time where you are spending time enjoying his deep gift, his good gifts and deep reflection and scanning things saying God did that and there's something better to come I can honestly say doing that yesterday I was never more prepared today to just worship him in song just because I mean I, I could I honestly could just say I've, I've reflected on his mercy yesterday I've reflected on his power yesterday I've reflected on that I, I truly want to know him more and it's because I had an intentional woven time into my day where I was just stopping from the busyness of the world and what I got to do and I'm saying God I trust you the world's going to go on without me and I'm just going to rest in your sovereign hand and I'm going to enjoy your good gifts and I'm going to reflect on you and honestly I've never done that till yesterday I think there's been hours maybe but never a whole day. So I just want to challenge us, church, that, that part of being God's people, we need to weave rest into our habits and patterns of life. This pattern of rest must include and needs to include enjoyment of his good gifts, but it also must include enjoyment of reflecting on him. I pray that we become a type of people that the world will look at and say, man, God is good. And I can see that in you. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.